Hello, my name is Tyler Chisholm, and welcome to a special episode of Collisions YYC Current and Critical, a 20-minute high-intensity episode where I sit down with local leaders to discuss the themes of the day. I'm sitting here with Mr. Iggy Domogowski. Hey, Iggy, how are you doing? Pretty good, Tyler. How are you? Good. Great to have you back on the show. We had you on a Blatant Plug on They Just Get It a while back. So if you haven't heard Iggy's episode, I highly recommend you go check it out. But today we're talking about something a little more um, topical and maybe a little more economically focused than just, just telling your story. But you're the CEO of uh, Tundra Process Solutions. That is correct. And yes, thanks for having me back. Really appreciate it. It's, it's Happy a, to be here. It's a pleasure. Give us a quick plug. What's uh, what's Tundra all about? And then we'll roll in from there. Who, who are you? To be speaking on this topic of the uh, Frontier Mind decision. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, so, Tundra Process Solutions is a distributor of industrial process equipment. We deal with uh, mostly oil and gas companies, but then we also deal with municipalities, forestry, pulp and paper, mining, and a, and a whole bunch of other industries. Okay, so from uh, you guys are based here. You guys are headquartered in Alberta, and do you work across Western Canada and down into the states, or mainly Western Canada? Most of our business is in Western Canada, focused on Alberta, and and really our job is to help our clients build safe and efficient facilities, and we give them the products to do that. Okay, Spence. So. The Alberta economy and what happens and what affects us here is very relevant to your business and something you've got your eye on on a regular basis. Absolutely. We're very tied to it. <laughs> yes, as, as, as we all are. We're not, none of us are living on an <laughs> island. Well, we're on the Alberta island right now. On February 23rd, late in the evening, Tech Resources announced that it abandoned its Frontier Mine project in northern Alberta, in, in Fort McMurray, for anyone who doesn't know. And it was estimated about, I think, a $20 billion project over an extended, like, was this a 20-year horizon, was this project? And just to make sure I'm checking you now, you just become my yep. expert on this project. <laughs> Yeah, it was a it was a twenty billion dollar project. It was to have seventy five hundred employees during the construction phase, another fifteen hundred to two thousand employees for the life of the project, and the estimates were that the royalty revenue that would have come to the to the government would have been about seventy billion dollars over the course of its existence. Seventy billion. It was like what did I read? Two hundred sixty-three thousand barrels a day was supposed to be when it was in peak yep. production. Yep. So a significant impact on on our on our economy. Absolutely. The interesting thing is that the decision was supposed to come down from the government the next day. Was that not how it how it on? This feels like it's a little bit of a soap opera in terms of how this thing unfolded. Absolutely. So I, I think it was a, the decision was supposed to come a couple days after okay. after this uh, withdrawal, and I I, I remember watching. Uh, the news or, or seeing it on my phone that this had happened. And initially I was really sad and I'm still sad that it happened. But I almost wonder if this was not the inevitable conclusion that was going okay. to happen with tech. And just for everyone who's like, who doesn't maybe have the, this was an open pit mine. Yeah. So tech is a, it, tech is a massive mining company, a Canadian based, great company. And they are mostly into coal, copper, and zinc. That's, that's what they do. Okay. And, and they've been around for years. Long, long, long time. Very established company. One of, you know, they have a bunch of awards, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm plugging the company, but I did a just a little bit of research on them. Okay. They're like one of Canada's top 100 employers. They, you know, they're one of Canada's 50 best corporate citizens. So they're they're that kind of company. They've been around a long time and and, good, and, good in the and arguably a responsible player in 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 the game of still resource development. <laughs> yeah, they they would they, they would say that, and I think that, you know the world would say that they're. Um, a couple other things that I looked up about them. They are in the Global 100 Most Sustainable Corporations, uh, Bloomberg Gender Equity Index. They're in there. They're a big renewable investor. They've made commitments to go carbon neutral by 2050. I was, I, I, that's the one that stood out for me when yeah, I saw you know, them they, out there. They have electric buses for their employees, and uh, 80% of the power that they use in their facilities already comes from renewables. 
So if there was, you know, if there was ever a company that was going to be responsible as, as a as a as some kind of energy producer or extractor, they, they they would have been the poster child. I don't think you could have found anyone that had more check marks in the sustainability or responsibility columns. Right. So, was this from your perspective? Does this come down to uh, resource play versus the environment? Kind of because it feels like we're in this right left, like there is no two sides of the same coin anymore. If if you pick one, you're against the other. And so far, did, from your perspective, was how much of a role do you think that played in this decision of, you know, pro resource extraction or pro environment? And those two don't seem to play together at all very well these days. Mm-hmm. That's a big topic, isn't it? <laughs> it is. You didn't think I was going to go totally easy on you, did you? <laughs> so let's let, let let's come back to the environment okay. versus versus extraction. Okay. Um, it's my belief that this was about uh, clarity of what government regulations are. Okay. That's that's where I think the you know the 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 meat of the issue was. And in the letter that Tech wrote, they they, they indicated that you know Canada really has to has to get itself sorted out in what the government regulatory framework is. And that's one of the yes. reasons that they that they cited. And more recently, uh, Warren Buffett pulled his $4 billion investment out of a Quebec LNG plant saying the same thing, that we just don't know what your government's going to do. We don't know what they're going to approve. If they do approve something, is it really approved or not? Or will they change their mind? So they, so people just don't know. and that, And that's why they're... I think that's why they're pulling their investment. Tech did it, Warren Buffett did it, and a lot of others have done it already. And so I so I think it was a bit of an ine- inevitable conclusion what was going to happen. Okay. So we got the we got the letter from Tech saying we're pulling out because of of a bunch of things, but but government unclarity is is one of those. So that was one outcome. Another outcome could have been is that around the boardroom table they decided to not send that letter and just see what happens a week later. And let's say that the government had said no, that they said no. Then government clarity would have been blamed again. Right. We keep circling back to the same story with a different type of outcome. Exactly. And, And then the third outcome would have been that the government said, yes, we're doing it. But then, I mean, we, we all saw the protests that, that ensued with trans mountain, I could only imagine what would have happened with an open pit oil sands mine. Yes, mm-hmm. um, and so so eventually there would there not eventually there immediately there would have been protest after protest after protest, and at some point I I really had doubts that that, uh, that that the mine would ever get built, and then if it didn't get built, once again it would have been cited as a government regulation clarity issue. Interesting. It all keeps coming. Yeah. All signs point back to the so same. That's just my opinion. I mean, yeah, whether, whether it happened the day that, uh, that tech issued the letter, whether it happened a few days later when the government uh, issued either a yay or nay on their decision, or whether it happened later on when it potentially would have gotten canceled or delayed because of too many protests, it would have been the same reason. And I think an inevitable, um, inevitable conclusion. And really just the sad part is when, when tech pulled out, you know, they said, as a corporation, we have decided that it's too risky to do business in our own country. And that's... <clears throat> this is a Canadian-based company. They're not coming in from is, abroad here. And that's, and that's scary, right? These, like, the tech's a big company. that They do lots of, uh, lots of work around Sparwood in BC. Like they're, they're entrenched they here. And for them to say, a Canadian company to say it's too risky, that was a scary part. Because now you've got these other international players looking in and saying, well, geez, this, 
these local guys are saying it's too risky. What do we know about this? Should we really be putting our money there? That does not fly a very confidence-inspiring flag. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I had a conversation recently with an oil and gas senior executive here in town, and a decent-sized oil and gas company. I'm not going to get any names. And they just come back on their from their roadshow all over the world, Southeast Asia, European markets. And he said, Tyler, he goes, the message I heard loud and clear is Canada's not really open for business, so we don't really want to put our money there. Mm-hmm. And that really hit me. Like I went home and kind of stared at the wall for a little bit on that one. It was that's it was a scary reality to hear that. And this circles right back to exactly what you just said. Absolutely. So that's, yeah, that's that's a message that I see internationally as well. Canada is not too open. It's not that we're close to foreign capital. We love foreign capital. Yes. We just are not creating an environment that is conducive to inviting that foreign capital. Well, in. what's the some of the like it's been 14 or 15 years since we've done a major project across Canada. That's not a good sign when it comes to the types of projects and we are a resource rich nation and the fact that that's kind of getting turned off. That's a tough one. Mm-hmm. And we're feeling it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean we we were a nation of builders. If you look all through yes, Canadian we were. history, we were. Mm-hmm. whether whether it's the Trans-Canada Highway or the railways or any number of mines or hydroelectric dams or all the great massive shipping ports, you know, all of those were big building projects. And where would we be today if we didn't have the massive hydro resources that we had or the crazy shipping ports that we had? You just described our whole infrastructure. Yeah. <laughs> like what, what, what has united us one as a nation and allowed us to thrive. Mm. And, and a lot of those, and it, it, it came down to some political leadership. And there was, there was politicians that said, this is happening and we are going to make it happen and we will push it through no matter how we need to do that. And they did. So when you pivot back to you know, working our way slowly to maybe the root of this thing, you mentioned leadership. What's your perspective on, I know we're now we're drifting, but it's hard not to because it does. You start to look at things both international, like locally and nationally. What role does leadership play in maybe getting a different future, whatever the next tech mine project is, which is going to be something different that it actually can get approved? What, what needs to change at, at, of our current structure or way of approaching things that's holding us back now from your perspective, of course? Mm-hmm. I I just think we need clarity. And I think that's all that any kind of local or foreign capital or oil companies, they, they just want clarity so that if there's a decision made, they know that they can stick to that decision and that it won't get overturned or changed once once there's already been a signature put. Because a yes is not a yes anymore at all, it seems like. Like, okay, we're going for it. No, wait, no, we're not. No, we're going for it. No, we're not. And that's, you know, we have Trans Mountain as something that's very topical these days that how many times has that gone yes and back? And I don't even want to, I, I've lost track. I, I can't count. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Trans Canada Pipelines, which uh, changed its name to TC Energy to remove Canada from its name, uh, their their CEO publicly stood up and said, "If I, you know, if I had known how long it would take for the for the Energy East project, and I knew how much money I would I had to pay, I never would have done it again. Of course, and yeah. I, I I couldn't go to my board and say, "Hey guys, I've got this idea. I wanna I wanna build this pipeline going east. Um, I'll let you know in eight years if it's going to happen. I'll have spent a billion dollars by then." but I won't know either way by then. What do you guys think? Of course the answer would have been no. Where he says now, well, I go to Mexico and we bid on pipelines and there's two companies bidding. They make the award and the day after I get the award, they put all the permits in my hand. And two weeks from that date, we're building. That's a really interesting comparison. Where would you put your money? (laughs) It's, 
it's so hard to have both. And we've, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm not going to let you totally get away with, with sliding past the environmental question because <laughs> can, can they exist together? And like, is that, is, is it lack of leadership? The environment seems to be the easy scapegoat for that. And I, I don't want to pivot back to it. Is it just simply someone isn't willing to take a stand and not willing to be unpopular to get something done? Or is this environmental agenda, which I agree is important becoming almost the scapegoat for that story of lack of leadership too. Like maybe, you know, just, Oh, here's a great story. We'll just hold this up because it's not wrong. <laughs> well, I, I actually feel like the environmental versus resource development story is getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, if I think back five years ago, there was two very, very polarized groups of people. There was one group on the, on the, on the resource extractor side, if you will, mm-hmm. saying, you people. Ah, uh, the classic. <laughs> you people don't understand all that we do for you. You don't understand the money that we've given you. You don't understand the schools and hospitals that we've built because of this resource. And you don't understand how good this country is because of what we have done for you. That was one side of the conversation. And the other side of the conversation from uh, pro-environmental groups and anti-development groups was, I don't care about any of your money. The money doesn't matter. You're ruining the world. And if we, all the money in the world doesn't matter if we don't have a world to live in and you're basically blowing up our planet. And so, how do you have any kind of constructive conversation with two such polarizing views? You're not even going to get in the same room. Right. And, but now I've seen those real conversations happening. There are, there is people on both really, really far ends of the spectrum. And they seem to be moving inwards, closer to each other. And I cite um, a couple of just examples over the last year. I went to a conference called Energy Disruptors uh, yeah, with the organizers. We, uh, had, uh, we had Graham on the show, actually, uh, to, promote the, uh, yeah. to promote the conference. Yeah, mm-hmm. so Graham and Michelle Edge are the organizers of that conference. They do a great job. They've done two now. And their whole goal was to bring people from all sides of the conversation together into a room. And they designed a really unique format for their conference that encouraged collisions of people that Which, might not normally uh, have met. And, and I, I th- love that. Love that. And, and I, I would give them a big check mark for that because I think they achieved it. And you heard both sides of the story. There were people on that stage talking about how resource development is not good. You had people on the other side saying why it is good. And the conversation was moving to the middle. Uh, another conference that I went to uh, in Edmonton was uh, the Spark Carbon Positive Conference. It was put on by uh, the government of Alberta mostly. Mm-hmm. And again, same thing. All the different people in a room. So it's not just it's not just an echo chamber of a bunch of oil and gas guys talking about what good they've done to the world, and, or not just a bunch of uh, anti-development people on the other side saying how, how how the world's getting destroyed. It's people coming together and starting to have real conversations. I think oil and gas producers have come a long way, both in how they act and how they talk. And I think um, folks that are anti-development have moved a little off of that stance and realized that fossil fuels are going to be here for a long time. The world is in a state of energy transition. The world has been in a state of energy transition since the first fire was lit. Yeah. There's always been energy transition. We've always been there. And, uh, and I think that now just all sides are coming closer to the middle. Real conversations are happening. And hopefully in the next couple of years, we'll see real solutions coming out of that that are sustainable, that that make everyone pretty happy. 
I think it's such a just such a simple thing that you said, but you, cl- you clarified it. It's 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 not about the environment; it's anti-development because no one's anti-environment. <laughs> like that's not an option. Mm. It's yep. the anti-development philosophy versus resource development, and how those two come together. And the yield is that we get to live the lifestyle that we've grown accustomed to, and maybe share it with the rest of the world, while simultaneously making better choices towards the environment. That's a very that's a much more collaborative conversation than screw you, which is what's what's happening. Which I think you're right. Yeah. And and so if you if you look at the kind of anti-development folks, uh, their view is is that you know the environment is very very important and very very fragile, and any resource development is bad, and which is that, that's a fine view. And then there then there's uh, oil and gas producer kind of folks, mm-hmm. and they're pro-environment too. And a, a lot of those folks would argue that they do more for the environment that, than anybody else. Yes, I mean if we Turn the taps off. Canada is a small player in the world. The world produces 100 million barrels of oil a day. Canada does four. Yeah, we're we're a taker. We're not. A, we're not a. We don't decide the. We don't set the price. Exactly. <laughs> but you know, if, if we shut off all the taps tomorrow, which would absolutely devastate our economy, but if we did do that, mm-hmm. nothing would change. The United States would pump more. Venezuela would pump more. All the Middle Eastern countries would pump more. We certainly know they're not scared to turn the tap on. <laughs> exactly, and and all those countries would do that with a with a with a worse environmental and social record. So that would be the you know the, the argument that producers would make. They say if, by us doing this, the world is a better place, and we and our greenhouse gas emission is more responsible than other ones. It's going to happen anyway, and why not do it here? And if they're, you know, if one day we don't use oil anymore, you know, the, the last barrel pump should come from the most responsible nation in the world, Canada. And it can't be an overnight transition. And maybe there will be a day one day without oil and gas. And and if that's the case, that it, Canada should be the one that goes all the way to the end. Is there, someone said this to me the other day, and it was such a random, I never even thought about it this way. We've got fair trade coffee. We've got, you know, um, environmentally, uh, uh, Farmed fish, is there fair trade oil? Like, do we get to a point where people actually go, "Oh, that comes from Canada, so therefore"? Because you hear that story, but there's a lot of people that just seem to tune that out because you're right. I've talked I'm like, "Yeah, but it's all the same." I'm like, "Well, no, it's not the same." I have a lot of friends. My wife works in the industry. She's like, "We bend over backwards to do things, quote unquote, the right way." A lot of countries don't think twice about that. Is there a future for something like that where we do a better job? Because let's be argued. The messaging has been poor. <laughs> the oil yep. and gas industry has not done itself any favors. It was always just there, and all of a sudden it got brought into the limelight, and it didn't have its best outfit on. Is there a world where we can tell that story better in your mind, or that we need to tell that story? I know we're pivoting a little bit away, but I think it's still all in the same bucket. I think it would be fantastic if you pulled up to a gas station, and instead of regular and premium and ultra, it was Canada, Venezuela, Saudi Arabia, Russia. Oh, I love that. United States. I love that. That's that's what would be great if those were the handles and you had to and you had to pull. And there were different prices and maybe even price Canadian higher and see what people choose. And I suspect the people would choose a Canadian choice in a lot of places. Oh, I love that so much. I got I'm a marketer, so I got a campaign ideas, I've got a whole thing. <laughs> I think somewhere we can find a gas station tenant that'll allow us to put some some branding on that and do a little study and see what happens. That would be an incredibly interesting little social experiment of what would what would happen there. And and I mean you you could do that in places in Canada. I mean, out west here, most of our um, you know, gasoline at the pump comes from Canada. But when you go out east, they, they still import a lot from from places like Saudi Arabia, yes, Venezuela. They do. United I grew up in States. Montreal. There's a steady stream of tankers coming in from overseas, and Absolutely. so they, so they actually could do that conceivably. They probably won't. 
but that is something that could actually. But the happen. concept is, is going to get noticed, <laughs> and you know, you, you can in a, in, a, in a good messaging campaign and getting it out there. And I grew up, I grew up back east. You didn't talk about the price of oil; it was price of gas at the pump, and that was it. And some people yep. would sneak across the U.S. border because they'd get it cheaper, and like that was the extent of it. I moved out here and was like, "There's a whole nother world." And my mom spent some time with me out here, and so she sits, you know, dinner table, glass of wine, myself, my wife. We talk about oil and gas and pipelines, and then she goes back home and then calls me and goes, "I just saw this on the news. It seems the opposite of what you and Fiona told me." It's just very interesting in the same country we can have so many different stories being told about what should be the same thing yeah. arguably <laughs> and and i mean there there are just so many different ways to look at it uh the big the big canada lng project yes you know that's that that thing will emit a crazy amount of emissions it just will it's a big massive 40 billion dollar industrial project one of the biggest that canada has ever seen you don't have a big project like that without emitting a lot of emissions. Right. So that's one angle of the story. This thing is going to emit a ton and it's bad for the environment. Mm-hmm. And then the other angle and? <laughs> is that this is natural gas. Natural gas is pretty clean. And in China and India and, uh, and a bunch of other countries, they burn coal, which is really terrible for the environment. And if we're able to get this thing built, all that natural gas is going over there and they're able to shut down coal plants. And so... It might emit a little bit more over here, but the amount that it will decrease over there is something like eight or tenfold. So if That's it, I hadn't heard it put as quite as cut and dried as that. So, so if you think of, I mean, it's not like there's some magical shield around Canada that it's only our environment. We don't have the dome. Yeah, it's, <laughs> we it, don't. It's, I mean, the, the atmosphere is the world dome, and yes. it's, it's one big environment. So if you can add a little in Canada and take away ten times more in China. Is that a net positive? I think it is. Right. Um, but but it, it just depends on how you look at it. Well, it's an interesting perspective and certainly, certainly something from a Canadian pride perspective, which I, being in Alberta right now and all the rhetoric going on, I could do I could do with some, some Canadian pride, how we can actually influence the world globally outside of our own borders. That's a cool story again that's not being told at all. Like even the perspective you just gave me, that's the first time I've heard it laid out quite that way. Yeah. And, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a great story. I think people just need to be having more conversations around the dinner table when they can. Yes. And and I get it. It's a it's a it's a hard conversation. You know, you go see your uncle in somewhere in Ontario or Quebec or and you get around the table and he starts grilling you about something and you don't have all Especially the, if you're in Quebec, it's going to be fiery. <laughs> right? And and if you um if you haven't taken the time to educate yourself and you only know something really, really superficially, which most people do. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that's a scary concept. You can say, well, actually, LNG Canada is good for the world because it's doing less emissions. And you get grilled on it, but you don't have that next layer of knowledge. You're going to be quiet pretty quick. And then all of a sudden, you look like you're guilty of something. <laughs> Just because you can't defend against the the, the aggressive uncle at the uh, exactly. at, at the family event who's maybe had a couple glasses of wine and that's how that's how that goes. That would never happen in Quebec. No, but well, <laughs> it's pretty much by by noon. Um, Iggy, I appreciate the perspective. We circled around a little bit. We definitely talked about tech resources and that decision, which you know it's two weeks ago now. It's very reality based. Hey, curious your thoughts on the impact on Alberta? I had uh, Todd Hirsch on, and he actually tied that to one of the potential risk factors for Alberta for another recession if that mine didn't go forward. He did say that, among other things. Curious on the long-term environmental, uh, economic impact, thoughts on that one? I mean, I I know better than to contradict Todd Hirsch on anything economic. <laughs> I, I, I maybe set you up there. Because we, we sat down probably about two weeks before the decision came down, and he did mention that in passing. And it stuck with me, for sure, obviously. He, one of those talking points. So... Trans Mountain was supposed to be built a long time ago. I think it's it's years and years and years behind. Seven years, I think. 
So I, I couldn't, if that mine ever did get built, which I'm very, I'm, I'm not confident that it would have. Right. If it did, it would have been built in 10 years. So it, it, there, there would have been no impact in the, in the near term. Where I think that, that uh, Mr. Hirsch might have been going is just the withdrawal of capital. If, yes. If that one doesn't. The, the message that it sends. If that one doesn't happen, then others will say the same thing. All that said, I mean, that was, that's an open pit mine. Yes. I really don't think many people are truly in your heart of hearts. If you looked really deep, did you really believe that another open pit mine would have happened? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think in, in terms of kind of the protests and things like that, the only thing that this mine had going for it is that it was far away. Yes. The um, 12 hours north of where we're sitting right now at that minimum. <laughs> exactly. The, 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 you know, the Trans Mountain Pipeline, uh, yeah, a lot of it is very rural where nobody goes. But it goes through Burnaby, it, in people's backyards. That's that's very easy for a reporter to drive there in ten minutes. No reporters driving up to some site outside of Fort McMurray. No protesters are going up there. So that was there. That was there. You know, a positive that would maybe help them get it built. But I just another open pit oil sands mine. I I had a hard time believing that it was happening. In fact, when I when it first came really on my radar about three years ago. Initially, I thought that it was not real news. I thought it was kind of joke news. Um, that well, Another open pit mine, that just doesn't sound possible. This must be a joke, but of course it wasn't. Right, But there's two sides to what we're talking about. There's the reality of the impact that might have, but there's also the message that it's sent that not open for business. I think that's maybe the more painful one in the short term. Yeah, and that was that was the one. Not open for business due to government uncertainty. Yes, money does not like un- not knowing what's going on. It doesn't like risk. I'm- well, there's, I mean, there's, there's been those, um, you know, the lists of government stability. Mm-hmm. Um, Indicators, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and there's lots of them and, and from all different sources. And, you know, in some of them that I've seen, you know, are the Canadian government ranks as, as risky as places like Kazakhstan. Just, just because... <sighs> that doesn't seem right. <laughs> it doesn't seem right, but when you don't know what a government's going to do... Then that's yes. then that's really the risk. We, I mean, if you look uh, south of the border, I mean, you, I mean, Donald Trump does some really erratic things, and you don't he always does. know what he's going to do. But you can almost bet certainly that every move that he makes is with his big campaign promise. It's to make America great again. And whether you right. whether you agree with his policies or not, that that doesn't really matter. At least you know what he's going to do. Like, and we've seen the cycle that that economy has taken since he came in. We'd love him or hate him. Let's not, yeah. We're not going down that road in this podcast. That's but there's a whole been a, podcast. Yeah, that's a different, that's maybe five <laughs> or six podcasts for sure. We'll get the tanning lights out. It'll be great. Um, the, uh, sorry, I couldn't resist. Uh, but the reality of the economy is very real. And you can't deny that. Like, you know, you hear people, the detractors, and they're trying to dance around the fact that it's been a great run. <laughs> you yeah. can't you can't take that away from the situation. Very true. I think uh, Trump is a good place. We'll end this, this episode. Um, what is the best way for somebody to get a hold of you? I know you're on LinkedIn. It's easy to get there if anyone wanted to reach out because they're just dying to learn more about your point of, your point of view or get in touch. What's the best way? <laughs> uh, LinkedIn is good or email. IggyD at tundrasolutions.ca. Excellent. Iggy, thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate your perspective. Thank you, Tyler. 